The scripture reading is coming from Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11 through the end of the chapter. That's page 1040 in the Maroon Pew Bible. And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're truly glad that you're with us. Thank you so much for being here. We have a lot of new faces, and we're so glad that you've come our way to worship our God with us. Every once in a while, just something catches me and, and amuses me more than, more than others. Steve Sadler, for those of you who don't know, is one of the biggest Aggies in the world. Everybody else gets up here and says, the number of the page in the Red Pew Bible is such and such. But if you were listening to Steve, he said, the Maroon Pew Bible. <laughs> we might have to have a, a, a vote on to whether we're going to call the Pew Bibles red or maroon. I, I, I vote for maroon as well. Good one, Steve. I like that. As Steve asked, if you would, please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. That's where our text is going to be found this morning. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And I want you to notice as we think about building in victory, about the fact that as Christians we can have assurance and we can have knowledge that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, there is victory to be found. We can know for a fact that we will overcome Satan and sin and death itself because of the fact that we have put our trust in the blood of the precious Lamb of God. The Bible indicates in Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 through 15 that there is coming a day in which every one of us will stand before the great white throne. And the Bible indicates that on that day, the one who sits on that throne is going to open not just one book, but a number of books. I want us to spend some time this morning thinking about when the books are opened. It's going to happen, it's in your future. There is nothing that you and I can do to alter that. There's nothing you and I can do to circumvent that. So if it is the case that I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to face judgment, I need to know some things about what's going to happen when those books are opened. Six concepts for us to consider this morning as we think about the day when the books are open. Revelation 20 verses 11 through 15. Notice first of all as you, as you look at the passage. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11, the Bible indicates that on the day that the books are opened, Christ will be your judge. 
And somebody might stop and say, well, wait a minute, John. I, I believe Jesus is my advocate. That's what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He's the, he's the attorney, if you will. He's the one that stands in for me and gives an answer. If I'm a Christian, he's the one that's my advocate. And yes, the Bible does teach that about Jesus. But the Bible also indicates, if you look at Revelation 20 and verse 11, that there's a great white throne and there is one who sits upon it. And the Bible doesn't indicate necessarily in verse 11 of Revelation 20 who that someone is. But if you would look on down in Revelation 21 and notice verses five and six, the scene has not changed. John is seeing this great white throne. By the way, the, the color white symbolizes purity and holiness in the book of Revelation. So the one who sits on this throne is infinitely pure. He's infinitely holy. And doesn't that describe Jesus? But even more so in Revelation 21 verse five, he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, verse 6, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Who is speaking in Revelation 21, verses 5 and 6? I believe the great case could be made for the idea that this is Jesus Christ. And so in Revelation 20 and verse 11, there's a great white throne. By the way, the word great in Greek means it's huge. It is a mega throne, if you will. It's a great white throne. The one who sits upon it is holy. He's pure. He is awesome in every way. And then in Revelation 21, he calls himself the Alpha and the Omega. That's exactly the thing that Jesus called himself back in Revelation chapter 1, if you'll recall. The beginning and the end, the first and the last. Brothers and sisters and friends, the Bible indicates that on the day when we stand before our Creator, it is Christ who will be our judge. Our advocate, yes, our judge at the same time. In John chapter 5 and verse 22, Jesus made this claim. He said, the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. The Son is the one who is going to be our judge on that day. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, the apostle Paul was preaching to some pagans and he said, God in past times overlooked these things, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he, God, will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has appointed. In other words, Paul indicated in Acts 17, verses 30 and 31, that when God judges the world, he's going to do it through by Jesus Christ. And the Bible goes on to say in Acts 17, 31, that God is guaranteed, he's given assurance of this to all by raising him, by raising Jesus from the dead. So when I stand before my God on the day when the books are opened, it is Jesus Christ who will be my judge according to Scripture. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 1, Paul charged Timothy to preach the gospel, and here's how he introduced it. He said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. 2 Timothy 4 verse 1. God's going to judge the world by means of, through Jesus Christ. 
Who is this one who's going to judge me? You know, that's worth thinking about. As we say, it's Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, it says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. In him dwells all the fullness, as we talked about in the book of Colossians this morning in our adult Bible class in the auditorium. Jesus is divine, but I want you to think about what Jesus has been through. He is the one who has always existed, and yet he condescended to come to this world to be born in a stable because there was no room for him at the inn. He's the one who grew up and and confounded the Jewish scholars in the temple when he was just 12 years old in Luke chapter 2. He's the one who stood with outstretched arms and said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He's the one who wept over Jerusalem and said, How often I've wanted you to come and and, and be gathered to me as a a hen would gather her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. He's the one who came and shed his blood so that you can have redemption. And brothers and sisters and friends, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that that's the person who's going to be the judge when the books are opened. Because he is forgiving, he is just, he is loving, and he loves you more than anybody else has ever loved you. He cares about you more than anybody else has cared about you ever in your life. More than any of your family could ever conceive of. Jesus loves you that much, but make no mistake, he will be a righteous judge on that day when the books are opened. Jesus wants you to come to him and have a relationship with him so that when you meet him in judgment, there will be no fear, there will be no shame, there will be no cause or reason for grief. Notice this, when the books are opened, secondly, all shall be present. All shall be present. If you're looking at Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11, the Bible says, From him who sat on the throne, the earth and heaven fled away. The earth, the heaven, all that's in this realm, the Bible indicates, is going to be destroyed. And there's no place found for them, it says in verse 11. And then John says in Revelation 20 and verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. He saw the dead, both small and great, standing before God. Mandatory attendance, no exceptions, no exclusions. In Matthew 25, verses 31 through 33, Jesus said that when the Son of Man comes with his mighty angels, they are going to gather all of the souls from all of the earth, from all of the ages. The Bible says they will all be brought before his throne, the sheep and the goats divided before they stand before him in judgment. All nations, all tribes, all tongues, every king who has ever lived, every president who has ever served, every senator, every judge, every councilman, both small and great, from all the ages, before the flood, after the flood, the very people who crucified Jesus, whose hands nailed him to the cross, all will stand before him on that day. And you'll be there too, and so will I. On the day when the books are open, all shall be present. 
In John 5, verses 28 and 29, the Bible says that the hour is coming when all who are in the graves will hear the Lord's voice. And they will rise out of their graves, some to a resurrection of life, some to a resurrection of condemnation, depending on whether we've done good or done evil, Jesus says. Everybody will be present on that day. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, Paul says, we must all stand before the judgment bar of Christ so that we might receive the reward or the penalty based on whether we've done good or whether we've done ill. We need to be ready for that day because all of us will be present. No escaping, no exceptions. Number three this morning. If you're looking at Revelation 20 and verse 12, notice this. Scripture indicates that more than one book will be opened. I find this fascinating. Much of what we read in Revelation is figurative. And it's interesting that I I kind of wonder whether this is part of the figurative idea of Revelation here or not. The throne, the judgment, all those things, I believe, those are real. That's going to happen. But the specifics of it, you kind of wonder about. Does God really need books to know some of the details of our lives? God has infinite recall. He knows in past, present, and future what's happening with our lives. But notice there are some books that are indicated here. In Revelation 20, verse 12, books, plural, were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. As I think about Revelation 20 and verse 12, it seems to me that there are at least three different books that are being indicated here. What are the books? The first one is the one that's called the Lamb's Book of Life. It's also found in verse 15, if you're looking at Revelation chapter 20, those whose names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life. We just sang about it. I appreciate Larry for leading that song. I know, I truly know my name is written there. Brothers and sisters and friends, the Bible indicates that the Lamb has a book and that book is full of names. And those names are the names of those who have been redeemed, who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb that are written in that book. Do you know whether your name is written there? In Philippians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul was writing to some ladies in the church in Philippi. They weren't getting along. Their names were Yodia and Syntyche. And Paul says, I urge you, ladies, to get along, to to work out your disagreements. And, And I want everybody in the church there in Philippi to help them because all of your names, Paul says, are written in the book of life. Think about that. One of the reasons why we ought to work out our differences as Christians, as believers, why we ought to strive to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3, is because our names are in the same book. We ought to love one another and work for unity in the Lord's church because of where our names are written. In Revelation 3, verse 5, Jesus says, if you hold on, talking to the dead church, remember the church in Sardis? You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. If you hold on and don't let your garments become soiled, I will not blot out your name from the Lamb's book of life, he says in Revelation 3, verse 5. And so on the day when we stand before our maker, the Bible indicates that one of the books which will be opened is a book of names, the Lamb's book of life. And the Lord will look and see whether our name is written there. Other books are open. According to Revelation 20, verse 12, here's another one. It seems that, 
If you look at Revelation 20 and verse 12 very, very carefully, it seems that one of the books which is opened is a record of our deeds, of our works. Notice very carefully what it says. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. It may indicate in this passage that there's a list, if you will, of the works that we've done. You know, some people are involved in sinful, evil works. That's what they're all about. That's what their lives are made up of. I'm doing evil. I'm doing what pleases me. I'm doing what seems good to me. Everything that's right in my own eyes, Judges 17, verse 6. That's what some people are all about. Some people are all about serving the Lord and about submitting to his will and humble obedience. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40, talking about one who visited the sick and fed and clothed those that were naked and, and continually served other people. Jesus says, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. Matthew 25 verse 40. It seems that the Lord is watching what's happening in our lives and he's got a record of the deeds for good or evil that we've been performing in this world. And then a third book, the Bible. In John 12 verse 48, Jesus says, the word that I have spoken will judge you in the last day. On the day of judgment, brothers and sisters and friends, if I can, if I can say it this way, the book of life with names, the book of the record of our lives, of our deeds, of our actions, where we've been, what we've done, what we've thought, and the Bible, the word of God itself. And why does the Bible say it this way? Why does the Bible say there are some books that are being opened? Because this is a very official, this is a very formal judgment, and because, watch this, God wants you to know that when he judges, it will be perfect and fair in every regard. God will not make mistakes on the day of judgment. He will not miss a detail. He will not overlook a piece of evidence. God knows who belongs to him. He knows what the standard is because it has been written in words and we don't have to guess about what these words mean. And God knows what's happened with our lives and so do we. And when we face him on judgment day, when we face him and the books are opened, our judgment will be perfect and righteous. Some will hear a verdict, depart from me into everlasting darkness. Some will hear a verdict, well done, good and faithful servant. We need to be ready for that day when the books are opened. What's going to happen on the day when the books are open? There are only two options. Number one, the wrath of God will be manifested toward the wicked. We don't like to think about this. We don't like to contemplate this, but the Bible repeatedly indicates this detail. Look, if you would, at Revelation 20 and verse 15. If you're looking at Revelation 20 and verse 15, the scripture says, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. More about that lake of fire is found in the next chapter. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, the scripture says, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You know, people sometimes joke about fire and brimstone type of sermons. 
hell and damnation, those kinds of things. But the Bible indicates those things are real. And those things lie in many people's future. And when I stand before my maker on that day when the books are open, my only question in my heart is going to be this. Is my name written in that book? Is my name there? Did he write my name in the Lamb's book of life? Because if my name is not found there, my destiny is assured. There's no way to escape the wrath of God. There's no way to avoid the wrath of God. There's no way to withstand the wrath of God. It is something so terrible, so awful, that the Bible calls it a lake that burns with fire and brimstone, fire and sulfur. A horrible fate. In Isaiah 66, verse 15, prophetically speaking, Isaiah said this, Behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger in fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. The Bible indicates the goodness of God, yes, but the severity of God at the same time. Romans chapter 11, verse 22. We are wise as Bible students, as New Testament Christians, to emphasize what the Bible does about our God. He loves us. He has done everything he can to redeem us. He has done everything he can to cause us to escape this destiny, this fate. But he is just and he is holy and he is a God of wrath. And we cannot avoid those types of passages either. 2 Thessalonians in the New Testament, chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. Paul says that the Lord is returning to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. And it's going to happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. This is God speaking. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. When we stop and think about the fate of the wicked, don't you want to be ready for that day? Don't you want to be prepared for the time when the books are open and when you stand individually before your maker? Don't you want to be ready for that day? The mercy of God, number five, will be manifested toward the righteous. The wrath of God poured down the wicked, but the mercy of God manifested toward the righteous. Now, I want you to stop and think about that term mercy for just a minute because that's very important when it comes to salvation. Brothers and sisters and friends, there is a record of our deeds. And if our deeds, if any of them are wicked and we don't have the cleansing of Jesus' blood, if we have sinned against God, we stand before him guilty and we're gonna stand or fall based on what our record says. If our record says we're guilty, that's all there is. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6 verse 23. However, if we give our lives to service and submission to Jesus Christ, we're feeding those who are hungry. We're clothing those who are naked. We're giving water to those who are thirsty. We're doing what we can to serve him. We still must know that we are not in any way earning our salvation. If we are saved, it is because of the mercy of God, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. If we find salvation, if God says, well done, good and faithful servant, it's not because of the righteous deeds that we have performed. It is because of our obedient submission and claiming of the sacrifice and the blood that Jesus shed for us. 
That's what the gospel teaches. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't undo the sin that's already in your life. You've got to trust Jesus and his cleansing blood for those things. And that's why we say, and the Bible indicates, the mercy of God will be manifested toward the righteous. In James 2 verse 13, James is warning his brethren about the way they treat each other. He says, judgment will be without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What does that mean? If I'm not willing to show and extend mercy to others, I can't expect that God's gonna show me mercy when he judges me. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse six, just stop right there and go back in your Bibles and just think about what the Bible says about who God is. Exodus chapter 20 and verse six, and notice how God describes himself. As he describes himself to the Israelites and he wants them to know his character and his nature. This is the 10 commandments. Who is God, Exodus 20, verse six? He is the one who shows mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Should I keep God's law? Should I keep his commandments? Should I obey his will? Yes, absolutely. Does that earn me my salvation? Not in any way. God shows mercy to those who love him and keep his commandments. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, very similar passage. God extends mercy and keeps his covenant faithfully with those who keep his commandments. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 23, God is one who extends mercy to all, all who come to him in humble and obedient submission. In 1 Chronicles 16, verse 34, Oh, bless the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Repeatedly through the Bible, we find that Scripture is talking about the mercy of God. And if we have sin in our lives, if we realize and recognize that what we've done displeases him, the only thing when the books are open that we can plead for is God's mercy. And his mercy is ultimately found in Jesus Christ. And so, on the day when the books are opened, Titus chapter 3 verse 5 will come to pass. Here's what Paul says about our salvation in Titus chapter 3 verse 5. God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Incidentally, a reference to baptism there, the washing of regeneration. Where do I contact the saving blood of Jesus? Where do I find mercy? Where do I find forgiveness? Where do I find cleansing? Where do I find God treating me better than I deserve, which is what mercy is? I find that when I come to Jesus Christ, believing in him and submitting to New Testament baptism for the remission of my sins. Mercy manifested toward the righteous. Remember this in Luke 17, verse 10, Jesus said, so you, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done that which was our duty, our responsibility. We're unworthy, unprofitable servants. God's mercy will be manifested toward those who are righteous when the books are opened. I want to leave you this morning with a question. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? I want you to really think about what that question implies. You cannot write your name in that book. You don't have a Sharpie that's close enough to that book to put your name there. Only God can put your name in that book. 
how do I know that my name is written there? We sang the song, I know, I truly know. Did you sing it? Did you mean it? Yes, I know my name is written there. I'm sure it's there. It hasn't been blotted out. It's been written there and it's shining and it's readable, it's legible. How do I know my name is written there? The Bible tells us in Acts chapter two, verse 41, those who gladly received his word and were baptized, that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, the scripture says. Added to them. Added to who? Added to the number of those whose names were in the Lamb's book of life. That's what's indicated. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, the same idea, the same concept. Those who were being added to their number daily were being added by the Lord, those who were being saved. Brothers and sisters and friends, when I come to God and I am baptized, because of my faith in Jesus and my, my recognition that I can't save myself, but he can, when I do that, the Lord adds my name to the Lamb's book of life. That's how I know my name is written there. The most important thing you possess is your soul. Matthew 16, verse 26. What should a man give in exchange for his soul? What would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Your soul is the most important thing you have. It's the only thing you're gonna take with you into the next world. If that's true, then shouldn't we be concerned with the question, isn't my name written there? Is my name in the Lamb's book of life? In Luke chapter 10, verse 20, the disciples came back to Jesus and they were glad because they'd been casting out demons. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. And Jesus said, don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice in the idea that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice in this, he says, that your names are written in heaven. That's where your joy really ought to be, according to the Lord. Is that where your joy is found? You can know whether your name is written there. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. John says, I write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life, so that you may know that you have life in Jesus Christ. You can have confidence. You can have blessed assurance. And it starts with asking the question, have I obeyed the precious gospel of Jesus Christ? Have I done what he's asked me to? Because I'm claiming the gift that he offered at the cross. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? There's a day coming, brothers and sisters and friends, when the books are going to be open. It's in your future and it's in mine. And every moment that we live, we draw closer to that day. Every moment that we live, we are closer to meeting our maker. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Amos chapter 4 and verse 12. Are you ready to meet him? If we can help you this morning to obey the gospel through faith in Jesus, confession, repentance, and baptism, you can become just a Christian. If you're ready to make that commitment this morning or if you need to respond and you want to ask for prayers, whatever your need, once you come, all together we stand and while we sing.